Thank you for choosing to listen to our sermon podcast. My name is Chris Mitchell. I'm one of the pastors here at First Covenant Church of Anchorage. If you have any questions or prayer requests, feel free to stop by or send an email to office at anchoragefirstcovenant.com. God bless. So when I was younger, my family moved around a lot. Uh, from the best of my recollection, by the time I was in 10th grade, I had uh, changed schools 12 times. And you know, after each move, I had to learn the culture of that place. Because Lubbock, Texas is a lot different from Toby Honda, Pennsylvania. And that was a lot different from Whitehorse. And that was different from Seattle. Um, so I, I was just all over the place. And uh, like many army brats, uh, I grew able to like, kind of get along with like, many different groups of people in many different places. But despite that, I was also really lonely. I mean, I was able to get along, um, but I didn't have any close friends either. I always felt like an outsider. Um, however, my 10th grade year, um, I came to Christ, and then for the first time, I felt like I had a real place and real relationships in my life. And actually, that's probably why Anchorage is in my home, because I lived in Anchorage when that happened. This is where I found love. It's where my life completely changed. And so I'm rooted to this place, and you know, there's been a few times whenever I've mood for school or to be closer to family because you know none of my family lives here anymore but I've always kind of felt called back here um, now I'm telling you this because we're going to talk about Moses and Moses he's an interesting guy uh, he was an adopted kid he straddled several different cultures and he never felt like he fitted in with anyone um, maybe this is you maybe not but God used Moses, um, th this guy who always felt like he was on the outside, to rescue his people, um, to actually change them from just an extended clan group to, to an actual people, right? Abraham is the father of God's promises to his people. And Jacob, he made them into Israelites. But Moses, he took them and he formed them into a people, a nation. And so that's what we're studying today. Um, this is our second sermon in our series on the book of Exodus. And the events of this book explain some of the uh, defining moments in the history of Israel. It often functions as like the testimony of Israel's relationship with God, how he rescued them from bondage and how he established his covenant with them. It deals with the faithfulness of God, the faithlessness of people, and how they relate to each other. And, and, and the first chapter of Exodus, it mostly gives us the context for the rest of the book. It tells about how the Israelites went from favored in Egypt um, at the start of Genesis, or sorry, at the end of Genesis, um, to enslaved by the Egyptians 400 years later. Uh, chapter 1 ends with the Pharaoh attempting to exert his dominance over the Israelites by ordering all the people of Egypt, Egypt to kill every male Israelite baby. Now, this was not done as an act of genocide, because if Pharaoh wanted to destroy the Israelites, he would have targeted the women. That's how you keep a population under control. But it was a tactic of intimidation uh, to demonstrate his power and cultural control over the Israelites through systematic persecution and oppression. Um, with, and Exodus is a long book. We're not going to go through it all. But kind of these first couple chapters, we're going to kind of walk through it, because there's just so much in there. Um, it kind of sets the stage. Uh, but later on, we'll kind of go hit more highlights. So, let's read the first 10 verses of chapter 2. 
Now a man from a tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. And she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. And she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slaves to get it. She opened it up and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. So Moses was born in secret during the time of uh, infanticide. And he was kept safe uh, with, with his family, his birth family, until he was three months old. And then he became too big, too vocal, right? Because they maybe start staying up longer. They start crying, letting people know what they want um, more. And so at three months, he was placed in a waterproof basket and sent to float down the Nile. Um, and just, just so you know, you might hear echoes of stories in Genesis in this. Okay, the same word used for the waterproof basket is the ark that's in Genesis. Okay, um, and that and Genesis is a, or the Noah flood is a recreation story from Genesis one and two. Okay, there's all sorts of Easter eggs in the Bible that reference other things. So sometimes you can just like click because these stories are supposed to be interconnected and they're supposed to call back to other things. Anyways, so the basket floats down the Nile. And Moses' sister follows the basket and eventually got stuck in the reeds near to a path that Pharaoh's daughter was walking along to bathe. And Pharaoh's daughter saw it and had her attendants get it. And the, rescue, the, the woman recognized it as a Hebrew baby, um, probably because it was circumcised, because otherwise, how would you know? Um, oh, just another note. She, she calls it a Hebrew baby. Hebrew, Hebrew means people that cross over. Okay? Um, it emphasizes the nomadic nature of the Hebrews. Um, of the Israelites, that they were from someplace else, that God called them. And um, honestly, it was probably at first a derogatory term, okay? You know, because it was used by, if you notice, and you read through the Bible, it's always used by non-Israelites to call Israelites. Okay, they don't call it amongst themselves. They never refer to themselves as Hebrews. Um, other people always call them Hebrews. And sometimes when they're talking to other people, you know, outside of the group, they'll use the term Hebrew. Okay, so it, was, so there, it probably was like a, like a derogatory term, like border crosser, because they crossed, they crossed the border, because God called them. Um, so, anyways, uh, Pharaoh's daughter finds the baby, and she feels sorry for it. It's abandoned in the river, probably hungry. And I don't know why Pharaoh's daughter like, decided to defy her and keep the baby as her own. It might have been just a pa passing fancy, but when um, Moses' sister shows up and asks if she could find a woman to wet nurse the baby. Pharaoh's daughter says, yeah, this is my baby. Sure, yeah, you can find somebody. And then Moses goes back to his birth family, which is pretty cool. Um, he goes back to his birth family and then goes back to Pharaoh's daughter 
whenever he's weaned. Okay, so now the babies are product of two cultures. It's birth families, and babies were nursed a lot longer back then. Okay, like a lot longer. Um, and so he got to know his birth family, his older brother, his older, his older sister, his father, his mother. He got to know his family. But then he was given back to his adoptive family, the family of Pharaoh. And uh, it doesn't say why Pharaoh let Moses live and became part of his household. But the order, order for the infanticide was probably over by then. A Jewish tradition says it lasted about three years. That's not in the biblical records, so we don't know. But they, the tradition kind of says that it was a three-year order. Um, but Moses grows up, and he has a foot in both the Egyptian and the Israelite culture. All right, let's continue. Uh, verses 11 through 15. One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them with their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fight him. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have been known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by the well. Uh, I, lo I love this passage because it captures the dichotomy of being part of multiple cultures so well. Um, so I'm a little digression. I, I was once, um, for those of you who don't know, I'm, uh, I'm Korean-American. And um, so I, I once kind of took part in this, uh, this group of uh, Korean-Americans that were born and raised in the US. And there was this one girl that was sharing. And uh, she was sharing her story. And she, she went to high school here in Anchorage. Um, and she did well. She was popular. She got good grades. She was athletic. So um, I think she went to Di Diamond. Um, but uh, you know, I mean, she knew she was Korean. She, I mean, obviously, she looked Korean. Korean was in her household. But she didn't speak it very much. Um, she didn't know it very well. Um, she didn't eat Korean food every day. She didn't like K-pop or watch Korean dramas. Um, she just thought of herself as an American girl. However, uh, when she you know, graduated, she went away to college. Um, in the first week of school, she was crossing the road, and she dropped her books. Okay, She just stumbled, and she, she dropped the books, because you know, she, she had the books all on the arm. And so she's trying to pick up the books. And a car that was waiting for her um, got impatient and started honking at her horn. And the driver started yelling at her and calling her racist names. And, and so she told this group, um, uh, that's when she realized no matter what she did or what she thought of herself, for most people, the first thing, maybe the only thing they would know of her was that she was of Asian descent. Like, that's the first thing we're going to see. It didn't matter that she was an athlete, she was, she was on an athletic scholarship, or that she was a good writer or a good student, or any other thing she could do. When most people saw her, the thing that would stand out first and foremost was her ethnicity, the way she looked. And, uh, and I have to say, this is something that almost every person that's an ethnic minority in a majority culture has happened at some point. That one time when they kind of realize, huh, whenever people see me, they first see this. Um, and that, that affects their life, right? Um, now they might try to defy that or whatever. What they do then is, is different. But almost everybody has that sort of experience. 
Uh, for me, I can remember it was, a, it was in the playground as a small boy, and another boy, he asked, uh, uh, why is that Ching Chong woman watching us? Um, and I didn't know what a Ching Chong woman was because I was a little boy. Um, so, but I knew that uh, he was making fun of my mom and how she looked, and, and it made me ashamed. Um, and it took me a long time to actually get over that, right? Like, to like, learn how to like, you know, just kind of claim my heritage. Um, and Moses, he had that experience, and it profoundly affected his life. I read that first uh, verse again. Um, what verse is that? 11, yeah. One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them in their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Do you hear that language? He went out to find his own people. Uh, despite being raised uh, with the Egyptians, um, you know, a life of privilege in Pharaoh's household, Moses is looking for people like him. He went out to where his own people were, and he watched. He wants to see other Israelites. He wants to know them. And then it says, um, and he watched them at their hard labor. Uh, now, I'm not sure if watch is the best translation of that word. He, I mean, he saw the labor, but he didn't just see it. He watched it. Uh, the, word, the word there, it actually means like, intently, like he focused on it, he investigated it. And remember, aside from his time as a young child, Moses didn't grow up around the Israelites. Okay, outside of his family, he might not know very many Israelites. Um, but there's a desire within him to kind of, kind of know his own people. He wants to, he wants to know. Um, and he goes out, and he sees the way that they're treated. And he sees the way that they're treated. He saw an Israelite being beaten, and the anger walls up in him. And, and we don't know why the Egyptians beating up the Angerite. Um, and so maybe the Egyptian had a good reason. Um, maybe. It doesn't say. Um, but just the visual, just the visual, is, is, becomes another example of Egyptian oppression that Moses just like has to interpret and has to feel. And, 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 and I'm sure the decision was made in anger, but, but Moses is just like, ah, I got to do something. And so he looks around to make sure nobody's watching because he, he has some instinct of self-preservation, and he strikes that Egyptian. And I don't know if it was meant to kill him, but Moses does. That blow kills the Egyptian. Moses has murdered him, and he hides the body in the sand, hoping that nobody will know what he did. Now there's at least one witness, the person that he saved. But things have a way of getting out. The very next day, Moses goes back to the same area, right? He still wants to see his people. He wants to know his people. Um, he goes back to the town, part of town where the Israelites are working. And this time he sees two Israelites fighting. And, and, and Moses moves to break up the fight. And he, comes, and he calls the Israelites Hebrews, okay? And that sh shows his outsider status. Because remember, like I said, the Israelites, they don't call each other Hebrews. They call each other Israelites, sons of Abraham, things like that. They don't say, they don't say Hebrews. And the Israelites that are there, they call him out on that, right? Like, oh, here you come in your fancy clothes and your fancy talk, acting like you're better than us, like you're an Egyptian, telling us what to do, judging us. But you're not all that. We know that you're secret. We know you're a murderer. And Moses realized that word had gotten out. And he knew that even though he was protected enough, and so when he acted like a good Egyptian, 
they ever found out that he killed an Egyptian, he wouldn't be safe. He wouldn't be considered, you know, a safe Israelite anymore. They'd put him down like a dog that bit somebody. And that's what happened. Word got out. And despite living um, in Pharaoh's house, adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, um, it doesn't say there's any sort of investigation or anything. Pharaoh wanted him killed for murdering an Egyptian. Okay? He crossed the line. You don't cross that line. And it didn't matter that it was a mistake or that Moses was protecting someone. Egyptian life was more valuable than Israelite life. Moses had to flee for his life. And he ran away to live with the Midianites. Okay, another quick history lesson. Okay, there's, there's lots here. Uh, the Midianites are descendants of Abraham. Okay, um, just, just like the Israelites. After Abraham's wife Sarah died, he, he either got married or had a concubine. It says both things in scripture. Um, named Keturah. And he had six more sons from Keturah. And Midian was one of those sons. Midian, the Midianites were descendants of that son. And so they were part of the, um, like, you know, Abraham being the father of many, okay? But the blessing of Abraham is only passed down through um, his son Isaac. So Moses, he flees to Midian. He gets there. He rests at a well. And this is a callback. Okay, like I said, this is one of those little Easter eggs. Uh, there, there are lots of well scenes in the Bible, okay? Isaac and Jacob both met their wives at the well. And flash forward, Jesus, he goes to the well and he meets the Samaritan woman. At the well, things happen at wells, um, usually romantic things. But uh, so yes, this is this is there. That's where they go. Um, so uh, all right, this is verse sixteen, and we're going to go to twenty-two. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. And some some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and he came to their rescue and watered their flock. When the girls returned to Ruel, their father, he asked them, Why have you returned so early? They answered, An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He drew water for us, and he watered the flock. Notice they think of him as an Egyptian, not an Israelite. Um, and where is he? Reuel. Sorry, it's three syllables, but it doesn't look like it should be three syllables. Reuel asked his daughters, Why did you leave them? Invite them to have something to eat. And Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. So Moses, he fled to Midian, he rests at the well, and there, he gets there, he sees another injustice. Some women drawing up water um, from the well to water the flocks, but another group of shepherds, they arrive at the well and they drive the women and their sheep away so they can water their own flocks. Okay, the women did all the work, the guy's driving away to take the credit, to take the work. But Moses intervened. He helped the women, and those women, were all, they were all sisters, and he helped them walk, finish one of their sheep. And the women returned to their father, Ruel, who was a Midianite priest, and they told him that an Egyptian helped them. Once again, uh, Moses is mislabeled. Um, but even if he was uh, called an Israelite, he'd be an outsider still. But I'm sure... Okay. There, this is just a, this is just a me thing. Um, there's this covenant. There's this thing. I'll, I'll just share this story with you real quick. Um, it's called the Covenant Asian Pastors Association, Kappa, and it's a 
So, you know, at midwinter, some of these, like, denominational events I go to, and I'll go to the capital events, right? So they're all the covenant Asian pastors. You get together, we have a meal or something. And, um, you know, I'm starting to get to know there, but, you know, it's a big group. And almost every time I go there, there's some guy, and it's like, well, why are you here? I'm like, oh, well. And then, like, I'm like, ah, let me tell you the story of my birth and, like, how I got picked and stuff like that. Um, and it's just, like, a little... It's just like a little grain of salt. It just like irritates me. I'm not like, okay, I'm just a little bit bitter. But I'm getting over it. Um, uh, and I'm getting known. People know me, so I don't have to say it as much. Or other people will say it for me. That's always nice when other people tell, tell my story. Um, so I don't have to justify being there. But I'm sure Mibesus, you know, he's like, well, I'm sure he got, kind of got, got annoyed sometimes. Like, oh, an Egyptian? Really? Um, but you can tell I identify with the story. So um, anyways. Riel invited Moses to stay with him, and Moses marries his daughter Zipporah. And they have a son whom they named Gershom, which means foreigner. I mean, that's, that's kind of interesting. Like, yeah, let's name our son foreigner. Um, because wherever Moses was, whether with the Egyptians or the Israelites or the Midianites, he never felt like he belonged. He was always a stranger in a strange land. He never fit in. And there's a context to all of this. Um, there, there's, there's something kind of hidden. And, uh, and now we're going to mention it. And that's God. Where is God in this? Have you noticed God has not been mentioned in this story? Um, not until verse 23. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. And God heard their groaning. And he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked out on the Israelites, and he was concerned about them. While all the events of Moses' life were going on, God was there. Even though God was invisible, God was active. And, and I love, love just like tracing the verbs of that passage, right? God heard, God remembered, God looked, God was concerned. And remember, you know, I, I know I'm like, oh, okay, historical background. I keep, like, saying that. But this is scripture. It's not just a history lesson. It's a divine revelation of who God is and how God's at work and how we're supposed to respond. And in Moses, we see a figure that's always on the outside, like he didn't belong. So much that he named his son foreigner because he felt like a foreigner in a foreign land, wherever he was. He felt like he didn't belong. And really, because he didn't, he didn't belong in slavery as an Israelite. None of the Israelites belonged in slavery as an Israelite. And he didn't belong to Pharaoh's household because he was an Egyptian. And he didn't belong to the Midianites right? because he's not a Midianite. Okay? He was too city for the village and too village for the city. Right? He just doesn't belong. Nowhere. Every place he went, he felt like he didn't belong. That it wasn't quite his home. That's because he was made for someplace else. Right? C.S. Lewis uh, once said in Mere Christianity, If I find myself a desire in which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Moses was not made for the world that he was in. He was made for a different world. And despite having all the luxuries of the Egyptian world, he was still drawn towards this other world. Right? And this led him to see the persecution of the Israelites. Right? This led him to flee from the Egyptians. It left him uncomfortable during his stay with the Midianites. He never belonged to any of those worlds. 
He was made for another world. And that's where God's going to lead him. God's going to lead him. And he's going to lead up his people to another world where they belonged. And it's just like us. It's just like you. You were made for another world. This world is not your home. Don't get too comfortable. See, this, wor this world isn't even the world's home, right? Creation was created for something better, and its creation itself is groaning for redemption, right? It teaches us in Romans. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. Prepare for the world in which you are made. You are made for another world. Live into that world. Live into that place. That is your true place. And as we're preparing and learning how to live in God's kingdom, which is the world that we've been called to, don't forget where you're at here. God hears, God remembers, God sees, and God cares. We are not forgotten as we are prepared for eternity. And we are not abandoned. And sure, we may not know how God's at work in our lives. We might not know how all the pieces fit together. But God tells us they're going to come together. They're going to come together. We will not have the last word. Because God's at work. Working for the good of those who love him. Right? Just like in Moses. When the murderous evil hunted for Moses as a baby, God provided protection in the midst of his enemies. When Moses started to give in to bitterness and violence, um, and, and, and he killed the Egyptian, God drove him into the wilderness to be part of a new family. Um, when, when he, remember, he met Reuel. Um, Reuel, um, the name of Moses' father-in-law, it means friend of God. Okay? Remember, the Midianites were also children of Abraham. Um, and though he didn't see God at the time, all throughout Moses' life, God heard, God saw, and God cared for Moses. Just like God heard, God remembered, God saw, and God cared for the Israelites. And you know, next week, God's going to make a, you know, you know there's going to be like a moment he cannot deny. And you're going to have some of those moments too, like those God moments where like, I just can't deny it, that was God. But even before that, even before that, God was active in his life. God heard him. God remembered him. God seed him. Seed him. God saw him. And God cared for him. Just like God hears you. And God remembers you. God sees you. And God cares for you. Your prayers are never ignored by God. He hears you. You're never forgotten. You are always seen. You are always cared about. Like, this is something we cannot forget. That's one of the reasons why we come here. We come here to remind ourselves of that. Right? To remind ourselves of that truth. That we belong to a God that doesn't forget us. Okay? He remembers. He's at work. He cares. And one day, we're going to go to that home. Let's pray. Holy Father, you are good. And Lord, I, I know sometimes we don't even know how good you are. And we can't even tell you how good you are until later, until we're looking back and see the way your hand has been with us, God. Lord, teach, teach us to live into that future. Um, let us borrow strength from that future when we can see how you've been at work, when we understand. Lord, thank you for preparing us a better world. Teach us how to live in that world, Lord. Teach us how to follow you, Lord. 
teach us how to, to identify with that. To remember that this world's not our home. But we were made for someplace better. And you're at work leading us there. In Christ's name, amen.